0: Hello, everyone. I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. This is Richard Lummis. I'm here with Tom Fox for another discussion on how to improve our leadership skills. We believe leadership is a skill which can be improved with study of both good and bad practices, and we try to draw interesting examples from many sources, including history, fiction, film, and business writing. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. Today we're going to continue our series of podcasts discussing economic disasters, financial panics, and market bubbles. Quick reminder, the Inspiration is one of the great course series of lectures, crashes, and crisis lessons from a history of financial disasters by Professor Connell Fullenkamp of Duke University. Today we're discussing one of the stranger bubbles, that of the Mississippi Company. The main player in the drama is a fascinating Scotsman named John Law. Son of a goldsmith and banker, he moved to London and became a gambler, got involved in a duel, killed the man, was convicted of murder and sentenced to death. Somehow the stories diverge on, what, on how he escaped to Europe. He continued to make a living gambling while learning more about financial markets and banking in Venice, Amsterdam and Paris. He ultimately came to believe that paper or fiat currency was the key to economic growth. He's been called an early Keynesian, although it should be noted Keynes did not mention him as an inspiration. I think you'll see why as we get into this podcast. At the time, in the early 18th century, paper money was quite rare in Europe and was usually only used locally. The historical background is that the government of France was essentially bankrupt following the death of Louis XIV. Louis XV was only five years old, so a council of regents were appointed, which included a man uh, whose title was the Duc d'Orleans. National debt was, in France was the equivalent of almost 200 million pounds compared to about 50 million pounds for England. Taxes were excessive. Some had already been paid five years in advance for the government to get uh, funds up front. Uh, farmers had abandoned their fields to avoid conscription for the various wars, and the economy was just a mess. So Law proposed, I guess he'd run into the Duc d'Orland at uh, gambling circles, but he proposed the creation of a national bank to issue paper money. Uh, the Duke couldn't get the entire Council of Regents to go along, but they did agree to allow a private bank, the Bank General, to form in 1716 as a joint stock company. The bank was allowed to issue paper notes, but it was banned from international trade and insurance. Initially, it operated quite conservatively, Um, and then in April 1717, citizens were allowed to pay taxes using bank general notes, which is uh, sort of a backwards way of introducing paper currency. In August of 1717, it was formed into the Compagnie des des Indes, which is known as the Mississippi Company by everybody, Uh, and it was granted a monopoly on trade with French properties in North America. They sold shares in exchange for short-term government debt and then exchanged the short-term debt with the French government for longer-term debt at a lower interest rate. Continuing the theme of political intervention, in August of 1718, the government granted it a monopoly on tobacco and then trade to Africa. In early 1719, Law did something interesting. He posted a huge bond and essentially guaranteed that the stock price would double in six months. People took that as a sign of confidence on the part of an insider, and the stock started to rise. He's then allowed to take over the French East India Company and China Company and was granted a monopoly on trade with the Barbary States. Then, the company obtained the right to mint coins and collect taxes. At this point, it looks like a pretty good deal. In 1719, they issued new shares at 550 francs, but you only had to pay 75 francs down and pay the rest in monthly uh, installments. Demand was so high, Law limited it to people who already owned four shares. Therefore, in order to get a share, you had to go buy some more on the open market, which, of course, drove the price up. He repeated the tactic in the summer, and the price reached 5,000 francs a share by October. At this point, Law issued 150,000 shares for, at a price of 5,000 francs, but it was on credit with 10% down. He loaned the money that he obtained to the government. In January of 1720, he was named Controller General of Finances. People started to try to realize their gains and uh, redeem their stock, and Law tried to prop up the stock price by offering to redeem shares at the price of 9,000 francs. A lot of people wanted to take him up on the offer, and in order to keep up with redemptions, he had to merge the Royal Bank into the company and start printing a lot of money, forcing people to accept paper money instead of gold supply of money in France doubled between January and mid-May of 1720, causing enormous price inflation as well. Law still couldn't keep up with the redemption, so he lowered the redemption price to 5,000 francs a share and limited redemption of the Royal Bank notes to 50% gold and 50% paper. This all caused confidence in the entire scheme to collapse, and so the share price collapsed along with it, and Law eventually was forced to flee the country and spent the rest of his life in exile in Venice. I know that's a complicated uh, summary, but it's a complicated uh, scheme, I guess. Tom, where would you like to begin today's discussion?
0: So let me just pick up on your last point, Richard, which is um, it was a complicated story. It was a complicated scheme, but for the time, it was an incredibly radical economic theory. And uh, we live in a a largely, well, I guess we would say post-paper, economic uh, system now with electronic trading, but uh, for the largest part of our lives, we lived in a paper uh, specie-based economy, but that specie was guaranteed by the word of the U.S. government, not by gold, not by land, not by something else. And um, that debt, if you look at a dollar bill, it says can be redeemed by the U.S. government or will be redeemed by the U.S. government for all debts uh, due and owing, Um, or I guess legal tender is the phrase. And what I think Law missed was the specie he envisioned was not really backed by anything. And so um, the speculation which occurred, they couldn't couldn't really keep the paper money tied to uh, any specific thing of value or rational thing of value. Um, The other thing was that uh, many of his ideas have become uh, de rigueur. Uh, certainly, uh, the pumping money into the economy—I think John Maynard Keynes would have fully embraced that at, <laughs> uh, at some point in his career—and um, um, the the really uniqueness of law. We should mention that uh, after he left uh, England um, from his imprisonment for murder, uh, he studied finance in um, Amsterdam, which is one of the cities we visited a little bit earlier in an earlier podcast. Uh, was really found. Uh, at, was really one of the top cities for economic theory uh, at, the, uh, at the time. The, but also some of the themes uh, we see in the Mississippi Company case are consistent with uh, the themes from the South Sea bubble and the tulip bubble, which is the uh, having no skin in the game, being able to buy stock on uh, loan and on terms that were incredibly favorable with uh the added uh, bonus that uh law was actually loaning people the money to buy the stock right uh so um we we've i've seen companies do that uh they didn't uh, exceed to the amount as a Mississippi company but uh when you start loaning money uh to people to buy a franchise to buy a something uh you begin to see uh problems uh involved um the um the other interesting thing was uh, I'm not sure, uh, some, many of the readings say that law unleashed forces which were beyond his control or that he didn't understand. <clears throat> I, I'm not sure I buy either one of those. Economic theory in 1720 may not have recognized these, uh, powers, uh, in 2008, we may not have recognized economic forces, uh, that were, uh, the United States was facing at that time. So, um, but Law certainly unleashed economic forces that he couldn't control. And I really found the interesting part of what led to the pop of the bubble was uh, the two intertwined um, events, which was the first that speculators who had bought the on the original 500 franc subscription now held paper that was between five and ten excuse me, five and nine thousand francs. And they wanted to cash in and by redeeming uh, their stock. Uh, to do so, that's when law had to prime the pump and dump paper money into the economy. And as you correctly noted, he dumped uh, doubled the money supply in in less than six months. Um, typically, that leads to uh, runaway inflation, not hyperinflation, but certainly runaway inflation. That did not seem to be a part of or a feature of the Mississippi Company case yet. When you put that much paper money into an economy, you're going to uh, uh, significantly devalue pretty much everything.
1: Yeah. Um, but I want I want to point out that Fullen um, Camp, of course, we've already hit on two of his points, which is government intervention and uh, and the easy credit. But he says the mistake that ended Law's career was when he reduced the redemption value from nine thousand francs to five thousand francs a share and did it by decree. And Fullencamp says, well, he had to deflate it somehow, but doing it by decree was too much for the public to to take. And so that's what turned the perception against him
0: And I thought that was interesting as well, because um, here we uh, we're trying to get away from the the run of the maddening crowd mentality. Yet here, Fullen Camp, it seemed to me, with that point you just raised, uh, returns to that—that yeah. that it was the perception uh, by him reducing by fiat the price of the stock when he could have done it in uh, some other way, which uh, perhaps would have worked, perhaps not. Nevertheless, it was that that uh, that um, reduction showed. Uh, There was either not support or that the stock was going to be weakened and people wanted to get out while the getting was good.
1: Yeah. The other thing that struck me about this is uh, here we have a company that was thought to have a viable trading business, but didn't. Uh, One of the things that happened was they had initially believed that the Mississippi River River Valley contained quantities of gold similar to that from uh, that the Spanish were getting from Central and South America simply turned out not to be true. Uh, some of the articles speculate that that's how law planned on getting out of this mess was by mining gold in the Mississippi region and bringing it back to France. But you'll also note that he, he had monopolies on trading with China and India and Africa, which was, would have included the slave trade. And all those should have had a great deal of value. The reasons they didn't pan out, I think, would require a really deep dive into the history of the 18th century and English competition with France especially in, the, uh, in India and the Far East. And it's not really clear to me at what point the insiders realized that they didn't have a business here and uh, that, that it was all a fraud, if they ever did. Uh,
0: the other interesting thing that we, uh, uh, you touched on uh, in your openings, opening on this podcast, if we could tie it back to the prior podcast on the South Sea Bubble, was the reason for the French national debt. Yeah. And it was, uh, in in this case, it was not war by England, but it was war against England. Uh, also, it was fourfold higher. Uh, Louis XIV had bankrupted the com- country uh, through a 75-year reign of uh, spectacular over, over everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank, but I've enjoyed the Palace of Versailles as much as the next person. But, um,
1: but we didn't pay taxes for
0: it. We didn't pay the taxes for it. We just enjoyed it. Um, so... You had a bankrupt company, country and you saw a government struggling with ways to not only pay down the debt, pay the interest on the debt, but coming to the idea that they would once again monetize that debt. Uh, and a uh, little bit different than the South Sea bubble, but the same general, I think, concept uh, to use that debt uh, to, to tacitly indicate that the debt was guaranteed without actually guaranteeing
1: it. Right. Well, and then, of course, Law thought that simply by printing money, you could create viable economic activity, which turned out not necessarily to be true.
0: Well, Richard, this one was really interesting uh, because uh, I'm not sure John Law was really a a bad actor. I think his his ideas were proved unworkable and certainly led to uh, financial hardship. But I, I didn't see him as a market manipulator and insider for the purposes of insider training as we did uh, with the South Sea bubble. Do you have a different view on that?
1: No, I have about the same view. The, um, the interesting thing, of course, was some of the damage that it did to the uh, French economy and the prestige of the royal family could possibly be blamed for part of the French Revolution. Um, but I don't think law had anything to do with that.
0: Uh, I would agree, but that's a, that's a great point. We may have to explore that at a further date because the French economy never really came out. Yeah, uh, And then uh, uh, Louis XVI uh, basically bankrupted the, the country again by uh, supplying the Americans with uh, <laughs> goods, arms, and ships, allowing us to uh, to defeat the uh, the British in the Revolutionary War.
1: Well, that's not the way I was taught it in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening. This is Richard Lummis and Tom Fox with 12 O'Clock High. We hope you'll listen in next time when we discuss the Panic of 1907.
0: This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes
1: and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.